Heavenly Father, I just thank you again for this opportunity just to come before you. Lord, as we dig into your word, Lord, and I just pray your Holy Spirit would speak to us, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts, Lord, that we would learn something about you today, Lord, and learn something about us. So, Lord, I just pray for your presence now, Lord, as we get into your word. Just bless this time, Lord, our time of worship. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So last week, we studied the story of a short man. Remember Zacchaeus? Everybody remember the story of Zacchaeus? We were in Luke chapter 19. So you can turn there now. We're going to be back in Luke chapter 19. And if you remember, as we studied that story, I asked you some questions. Does anybody remember the questions that I asked you last week that was here? Remember one of the questions was that I asked was, have you answered Jesus' Jesus's call to come just as Zacchaeus did. I asked that question. I also asked all of us, how do we view sinners? What is our view of a sinner? Now, as we looked at that story, we asked some other questions. We asked, what did the people see when they saw Zacchaeus? When they saw Zacchaeus, what they saw was a notorious sinner. They saw a sinner that they had hated. Then we looked at, what did Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus see in himself. He saw a notorious sinner. Now, who did Jesus see when he saw Zacchaeus? I asked that last week. He also saw a sinner, but he saw a man that he loved, a man that needed to be saved. So we saw that Jesus loved Zacchaeus just as he loves every one of us and everyone here today. So as we went about our business this whole entire week, I'm sure all of us saw a lot of different things. How did we view that? How did we view the lost as we went through last week? How did we view the Zacchaeuses that we saw in our own lives? Now, speaking of going about our business, after Jesus spoke to Zacchaeus, he felt that he had to share something else. He wants to share today about how we are to conduct our daily and weekly business and He's also going to address some expectations that we may have. So let's get going. Luke chapter 19, verse 11. The crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. So Jesus, you look, right? Everyone's listening. Jesus has everyone's attention. Everyone's listening. Does Jesus have your attention right now this afternoon? Everybody listening? All right. Let's see through this story what the Holy Spirit would teach each one of us today. Now, as we study these different parables, we've been going through this, we must interpret the lesson, the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach us through these stories or through these parables. As we look at these parables, we can, we can ask why. Why is this parable being taught? What has happened? For Jesus to teach the parable, sometimes some different situations happen, so Jesus goes to correct or teach a lesson because of something that's happened. Whatever it is, we need to try to find the meaning of the parable. Most all parables, if you look at it, there's always like a key or an answer to try so we can better understand the meaning of the parable. Now you look at this one. Again, this is kind of an easy parable, right? The key or the answer of what he's trying to teach us is right at the beginning. Do you see it? He told them a story to correct the impression 
that the kingdom of God would be right away. Now, that's half of it, really. There's another half, but we'll get to that. But Jesus is taught or is teaching this parable to those in his time that assumed the kingdom of heaven was going to appear, they hoped, that next week. They hoped Jesus was the Messiah, and they hoped it was Passover time. They were hoping it was Jesus now that was going to take his rightful place. Now, if we're going to talk about the kingdom of God, maybe we should define that a little bit. Maybe we should help understand what exactly is spoken of here. What is the kingdom of God? I think a lot of us have read it in the Bible. I think we can see in Jesus' time, as it's spoke about here, it was obviously a little bit misunderstood. I think even today, as we talk about it, there's some misunderstandings exactly what the kingdom of God is. So I want to try to explain it the best that I can today. I see as the kingdom of God, when it's spoken of here, really has two parts. We can see the spiritual aspect of it, and then there's also a physical aspect of it. In the spiritual kingdom of God, once we all have submitted our lives to Jesus Christ, once we've come to a faith in Jesus, we enter into and become a part of the kingdom of God, spiritually speaking. We are welcomed into God's kingdom. We become one of his children. Through that, through that kingdom, God becomes a ruler in every one of our lives, and we are part of that kingdom of God. God rules his spiritual kingdom through the church and through his people. There's another side of it, though. Don't we have to look at what, if that's the kingdom of God, what's the other side of that? It's always, if you want to define or understand sometimes something, it's good to look at what's the other side of that. The other side of it is those that choose not to follow Jesus. Jesus, they, if they don't follow, follow Jesus, they're not part of that kingdom. But in fact, they're part of a different kingdom. And that kingdom is this world. This world, we know, though, belongs to Satan. So they're either part of either kingdom, spiritually speaking. You belong to one another. You either belong to God or you belong to the world. Now, I said there's two parts, the spiritual and the physical. Let's talk about the physical. This physical kingdom of God will be an actual place. It's a real place. You know that? Most of us have prayed for this place to come and not even realized it. Let's talk a little bit. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 2, 244. Let's learn a little bit about this kingdom of God. During the reigns of the kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. Let's also look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. My vision, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence. So as we read this, we can see scripture is foretelling of this physical kingdom of God through the the prophet Daniel. Now, turn back to the New Testament. Turn back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 9. Everybody recognize this prayer? Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Everyone, let's look. Pray like this. Well, I'll just say the whole prayer. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day the food we need and forgive us our sins, as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from this evil one. Do you see that part of the prayer? May your kingdom come soon. How many have said the Lord's Prayer before? I'm sure everyone here. Do you realize when you're praying this prayer what you're really praying for? What does it mean, may your kingdom come soon? What does that mean? 
We're praying here for the second coming of Jesus, for his kingdom to come here on earth. This physical kingdom of God is also known as a millennium period. Maybe some of you have heard it that way. It's a thousand-year reign here on earth. This is where Jesus will come here and reign this earth for a thousand years. I passed out a timeline to everyone today. I'm not going to go through it, but you can use that for reference as we talk a little bit about this to help you understand the millennial period, the tribulation time, the rapture. Um, You can look at that reference later. I don't want to go through it all right now. But just to give you a better idea, I just want to give you a basic one-minute rundown of what I believe in this. Some people do have a little bit different views. I believe in a pre-tribulation. I believe there is a time in the future called the rapture, and all of us that are followers of Jesus Christ will be drawn up by him. Now, Jesus will come into the clouds, draw us up, and this will be the rapture. Now, this will start a period of time of seven years, the seven-year tribulation. And after that seven years, there's a lot of things that happen during that seven years, which you can look at that timeline I gave you. After that timeline, that seven years, this is when Jesus' second coming actually takes place. This is when Jesus will come down and defeat Satan and his rule and his hold upon this earth. And then he will rule this earth for a thousand years. And this is the physical kingdom of God that we're speaking of here. So you can look at that timeline. Some of it's kind of a little complicated, but basically there is a time and place after the tribulation that God is going to rule this world. And that will be a physical kingdom of God here on earth. So we learned a little bit about end times. I don't want to get too much into that. (laughs) Remember, though, back to the story. This is Passover time for the Jewish people, remember? Now, this is an emotional charged time for these people. They're, I mean, they're not only they're celebrating, but remember, they're celebrating the deliverance from slavery from Egypt. But as they're celebrating, what's going on with them in that day? They're also now slaves again to the Romans. So they're trying to celebrate Passover, yet they've fallen into slavery again to the Romans. So this is going to be very conflicting to them. And also, this is right now, as they're seeing Jesus, they're really hoping he is the one that's going to free them from their slavery, that they will, they're thinking this kingdom is going to happen this next week, they hope, that is a physical time right there in the Jewish culture. Let's turn back, back to Luke chapter 19, verse 12 and 13. He said, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together 10 of his servants and divided among them 10 pounds of silver, saying, invest this for me while I am gone. Now, this would be a pretty common thing. A ruler or a leader in a different area, as he rules, um, eventually, a young ruler, he would be commissioned or appointed king. And so he would have to go back to wherever he was from, the main capital or the, you know, the head office, whatever you would call it in the day. And this time it was probably Rome. And then they would go be, anoint, be commissioned as the king or be appointed as a king. So this nobleman has now has received a message that it was time for him to go back to the capital and be crowned king of that area. And then he would return to that same area and re- continue ruling, but now he'd have some real authority as a king. So this is a common thing done in this time. Now look at that verse. Do you see their servants? You see the nobleman says, before he left, he called together 10 of his servants. Do you see that? Now these servants of this nobleman soon to be king, were not necessarily slaves. And I looked it up. These were actually bond servants. I looked it up. And so they were, they were freely serving 
this man. These were trusted servants from this man. If you looked at it, it's one who gives himself up to the will of others. So these servants were freely serving him. Now, I'm sure as these servants were there, I'm sure the noble man or soon to be the king actually trusted these servants because these are the people that's actually chosen him to serve. Now, as you see in there, he, he gave them a gift, didn't he? Do you see that? Now, he instructed them each to use that gift in a certain way, to use it for his gain, to increase his kingdom and his wealth while he was away. Let's see how they do. Verse 14. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we do not want him to be our king. Think about this. It's pretty apparent these, the, the citizens, the people this guy ruled over obviously did not like him. Very apparent. Uh, so much so that they would gather a group of people to go alongside him or behind him or whatever to the capital, to wherever he was going, to try to speak to his authorities or his governing people and say, we don't want him as our king. They don't want him to become even more powerful. Think about that, though. That's a risky thing to do, wouldn't it have been? That would have been risky. I mean, if they had failed at going there and trying to kind of dethrone him or trying to tell, we don't want him here, I'm sure there would have been a big price to pay. I mean, that's risky. This is really, this is almost a rebellion against him. Well, let's see how this is going to work out for everyone. Look at verse 15. After he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. So the nobleman has now become the king. These people's argument or rebellion has failed. And now he's back to rule his kingdom as the king, not just a nobleman. And upon his return, we can see, what is his first order of business? He wanted to see what had taken place while he was gone. He wants to, he calls all of his trusted servants, his bond servants, and he says, each one of you come to me and give an account of what has taken place while I was gone. I think any of us, like, if we went away and we come back to our house, we're like, what has happened while we were gone? Give an account. Now, let's, let's read about these accounts as we continue. Verses 16 through 19, the first account. The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made ten times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted you, so you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over ten cities. We see some faithful servants. We see faithful obedience from these two servants, don't we? Not only did they do what the king asked of them, but they got a return on their efforts. Let's look at the next people. Let's look at the next ones. Verse 20 through 23. But the third servant brought back the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your words condemn you. If you knew that I am a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money into the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. So we see a whole different story here now, right? We see an unfaithful servant. He didn't do what he was asked. He made excuses, and he blamed the king for his unfaithfulness. Do you see that? But Jesus, he's got a little more to say about, say about this to this man. Look at verse 24. 
Then turning to the others, standing nearby, the king ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has ten pounds. Some, you read this, right? It's kind of harsh, maybe? Why would you, why do you think the king was so hard on this man? Why was he so hard on this man that had not done what he said, had not invested his money and, and sought a return on his money? I mean, we can see here this man is still one of his servants. He's not one of the citizens. He's one of his servants. But he punished the man, didn't he? By taking away the gift he had given him. You know why? He didn't share his master's interest in the kingdom. He didn't trust his master's intentions. His only concern was for himself. He didn't use the money as he was asked. Now, maybe some of us have been in a similar situation. As we look at these two, these, these different groups of servants, what, what type of servant would you be in this story? Let's see what the other servants are going to say about this. Let's look at verse 25. But master, they said, he already has 10 pounds. They're not very happy, are they? What do you think? Was this wrong or right for the king to do this? What do you think? Was it okay to give that man's pound to the one who already had 10? Why would the king do this? Let's look at verse 26. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. The answer is clear. These servants are expected to be faithful. They're expected to be faithful into the gifts that the king has given them. And we can see there's a reward given for those that are faithful. But you can also see there was a punishment given according to each one's faithfulness. Look at verse 27. As for those enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. Wow. You can see the punishment for this rebellion that happened earlier against the king was very harsh. Very harsh. Now, we just looked at this parable in the physical sense, didn't we? Now we got to go back through it. Now we got to put different glasses on. Because there was a lesson for all of us in this parable. We have to put our spiritual glasses on now and go back through this parable and look at it in a spiritual context. All the way back to the beginning. Verse 12. Sorry, verse 11. Well, what's Verse 12. So do you see verse 12? He said, A nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Who's the nobleman? Jesus. Let's start looking at this through the different glasses. So we know who Jesus is in this story now, right? It's the nobleman. And it said, What did Jesus do? Before he left, he called together ten of his servants and divided them ten pounds of silver. Jesus gave gifts to all those that served him. We see that in that story, right? What are these gifts? What are these gifts that Jesus has given all people? That's you and me. That's the disciples. It's everyone. What are these gifts? What are the purpose? What is the purpose of these gifts that he's given? What do you do with the gifts? Look at verse 14. The people hated him. Some said, we do not want him to be our king. Are there people still around today? And this time he's really kind of specific to the Jewish people. But the same applies to us today. There's there's those that are servants of Jesus Christ. And then there's those that say, we do not want him to be our king. Two different people groups, just as in the story. Continue to look at that. So we see that Jesus has given everyone gifts. And he expects the gifts given to be invested for his kingdom. Do you see there's two different groups? We said there's two different groups. Do you see there's two different groups of servants also in there as you look at it? You got the servants that did with the gifts as they were asked. Then you got the servants that did not do what they were asked of from Jesus. Then you see different responses from Jesus, don't you? 
Look at that parable. Look in there. Jesus says, "What? well done to the one. Well done. You will be governor of five cities. Uh, verse 17, well done. You are a good servant. That's one response. What's the other response? You wicked servant. We see different rewards to the different servants. Do you see that? It's based on their faithfulness and their degree of stewardship. One is given ten cities, one is given five, and one has his gifts taken away. So what is the main lesson or the main principle of this parable for us today? I think the main one is to teach us good stewardship for the things that God has given each one of us. To manage the resources that each one of us have had to serve God. To strengthen his kingdom. To share the gospel. Now there's some truths given in these parables. Do you see that the truth is that Jesus was going to go away for a period of time? We see another truth that before he went away he gave, he gave gifts. These gifts is the good news. It's also spiritual gifts. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 12.7. 1 Corinthians 12.7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help one another. It's also 1 Peter 4.10. Let's turn there. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. We must, like this story says, we must use the gifts that God has given us to invest them and use them as God has commanded for each one of us. We must be faithful and productive with whatever gifts that each of us has been blessed with. Because one day, just like this servant here, in this story, we will have to give account, just like, see it, Jesus is coming back. Just like the master came back in this story. And when he came back, he asked for an account from each person of what they've done. So each of these gifts, each of us have, each of these blessings, we must ask ourselves, are we using them to benefit Spreading the gospel. I want to ask each one of you four questions. Each one of us should be able to come up with different things that God has blessed you with. I can look out there and I can see everyone out there. And each one of you has, I can see it myself, the gifts that God has given you. Are you using these gifts because you want to see the kingdom grow? Do you trust God to govern fairly? Are you concerned for others' welfare as you are for your own? Are you willing to use faithfully what is entrusted to you? Because those who are faithful to Jesus... We see through this parable, those that are faithful will receive a greater responsibility, I believe, here and in heaven. As we finish up this parable and take this lesson, I want to finish with two quotes. If the worship team could head up, and I'll finish with these two quotes. Most people have heard of Spurgeon. It is always so, wrote Charles Spurgeon. The gracious and faithful man obtains more grace and more means of usefulness, while, while the unfaithful men sinks lower and lower and grows worse and worse. We must either make progress or lose what we have attained. There is no such thing as standing still in religion. I got one more from Warren Worsby I want to leave you with. We are living here today in the period between Luke chapter 19 verses 14 and 15. Do you guys see that in your Bible? As we await for Jesus' return. When our master is absent but will return according to his promise... We have been given a task to perform, and we must be faithful until he comes. What will the king say to us when he returns? Will his words mean reward, rebuke, or possible retribution? Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we see this parable of a reflection of you, and we see how we are the good stewards that are awaiting your return, Lord. And before you left, that you've given us each responsibilities, Lord, each gifts that are to be used for your kingdom, Lord. 
Lord, I just pray that each one of us would recognize what our gifts are and what their purpose is. And show us, Lord, how we can best invest these gifts to increase people knowing you, Lord. Lord, that we would use these gifts for your glory. And Lord, as we await your second coming, Lord, as we await the rapture, Lord, knowing that one day we will all sit before you, Lord, and give account. You ask, what have you done with what I have given you? Well, we'll just account for this and say, Lord, I've seen ten times just like this servant in the story. So, Lord, I just pray that each one of us would just remember this week to be faithful stewards of the things that you have blessed us with. And know, Lord, that all these things and gifts that we do have, Lord, are for your glory. Lord, we praise you and we thank you so much, Lord, just for this amazing opportunity to serve you just as these stewards they had, Lord. So, Lord, just let us go out this week, Lord, and just use these giftings to draw people to you, Lord, that your kingdom may be increased tenfold, Lord, that the people here in Myanmar, as I see, I don't know what the percentages are, if it's 5 or 8%, Lord, Lord, that we would go out and we'd double that number by in a year's time, Lord, that, you know, 12 or 15%, Lord, would come to know you, Lord. So, Lord, let us use these gifts wisely. Let us not be like this one steward that we read about that just sat and did nothing, that didn't, he knew he had a gift, and he knew he was supposed to use it, but he did nothing because he was scared. So let's not be like that, man. Let's go out with the power of the Holy Spirit. And use these gifts to share the gospel this week. We love you and praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.